vibration and sounds built to stimulate around the eyes. Greatest and greatest wellness trends, treatments, and experience. Magnesium is naturally found in foods like... This is the Well and Good Podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello, and welcome to the Well and Good Podcast. I am Sinikiwe Stephanie Dulaweo, founder and creative director of Naya, Naya is an organization that sits at the intersection of social justice and well-being in order to disrupt what it looks like and who gets to be physically, spiritually, and mentally well. For the next few weeks, I will be filling in for Taylor as host of the podcast with a series of conversations with authors that I love and books that I think are a must-read. When I thought about who I wanted to talk to for this series, I was really excited to talk to folks whose work I value and that has supported me personally on my journey to being physically, spiritually, and mentally well. In this first episode, I speak with Chrissy King about her book, The Body Liberation Project. In this episode, we go into depth about what it means to exist in bodies that are heavily policed and how to stop contorting said bodies into societal norms. It would mean the world to me if you shared this with a friend, left a rating, or dropped a little love note at podcasts at wellandgood.com. Enjoy. Hi, Chrissy. 
Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you um, and talk about all things bodies, um, especially being Black women. And I will speak for myself when I say that my body isn't the standard of beauty, um, especially when you look at media and social media specifically. And so I'm really excited. And I think that your book in this moment is really powerful, especially when you think about how there's been a very drastic shift in the way that people look in bo- look at bodies. You know, I think there was a time and a moment when bigger bodies were en vogue, and now it's kind of taken a hard swing the other way, and thin bodies are back in. And so, yeah, I'm just I'm really excited to chat with you. So, thank you for your time. Oh, thank you for having me. And I I totally agree with everything you said about this pendulum shift we're seeing now about like what's the in body now and I think how that's impacting us and especially how it's impacting black and brown folks. I'm curious about your entry point into this space, the space of wellness, the space of specifically really dissecting kind of how your body or bodies in general come into play. I'm curious how you started thinking about those things. Yeah, for sure. So I got into wellness space over a decade ago. And my entry into wellness was really based on my desire to shrink my body. Um, I joined a gym as an adult with the sole purpose of making my body smaller. That was the only thing I was interested in. And through that process, I started powerlifting and strength training and really fell in love with just like the aspect of strength and strength training. And I always like when I was growing up, I was physically a very like weak person. That was like kind of like the reputation around my family is like, don't ask me for help. She's not going to be any help. And it actually did not bother me at the time because I was just like, oh, yeah, some people are weak. Some people are strong, like whatever. And when I started strength training, again, my purpose was to lose weight. But when I started doing that, I also saw my body body get physically stronger. And I was like, oh, like strength is a skill just like any other skill. And so when I started powerlifting and lifting, deadlifting hundreds of pounds, it felt so empowering. And it's the first time I started a little bit to think about my body differently that like, oh, it's more than just like an ornament for decoration. It's also like really powerful and it supports me in so many ways. And I really just, I loved strength training. So I decided to become a trainer. And so I was working at a corporate job. I was training on the side and primarily working with women. I had through this process, I had what people would call that physical transformation. But what also happened for me is that like I was in the leanest adult body I'd ever been as an adult. I was the strongest I'd ever been, but I was also the most miserable I'd ever been. Um, And I think that like diet culture tells us when you lose all this weight, then you're going to feel better about yourself and everything's going to be great. And actually I was like, I am getting all this affirmation from people like telling me how great I look, but I still feel like it's not enough. And so during that process, I started training other clients, working with other uh, clients, primarily women. And I recognized like all of us were having the same issue around body image. Um, And so during this journey, I went on my own like journey to to heal my relationship with body image because I realized finally like, oh, I've lost all the weight that I wanted to lose. And now I have like a worse relationship with food, a worse relationship with exercise, a worse relationship with body image. So I was like, I need to, I need to work on that for myself. And I was just working with a lot of women and we all were like struggling with the same issues. And so once I got deeper into wellness and working body image, I also started to recognize, not recognize, but I started to really like see how much the fitness and wellness industry was lack diversity, like wasn't set up to 
uh, really adequately support BIPOC folks, queer folks, anybody outside of that, you know, Eurocentric standard of beauty. And during that process, when I was working as a trainer and then starting doing my thing online, I started writing about the intersections of like race and fitness and, you know, white feminism and all these things within the wellness space that weren't really being talked about publicly at that time. This is like pre-George Floyd, right? And the wellness industry wasn't like hyped up about anti-racism. And so I started writing about a lot of these things. And at the same time, I was like also working through my own body image issues. And, you know, Sonia Renee Taylor's work, The Body's Not Apology. I probably read that book seven or eight years ago. And it was like the first book that helped me really understand that, yes, I was struggling with body image, but also that the, it was more nuanced and more layered because of my existence as a Black woman in the world. And so those things were really instrumental in helping me to start to change my own mindset around body image and work towards healing my own body image. So I feel like this book really is just a culmination of all that work together. You touched on it a little bit, but I want to go deeper into how white supremacy and diet culture are inextricably linked and also how those two things have impacted you as a Black woman. So kind of how your body is perceived and in turn how that impacts how you're treated in the world. Absolutely. So Dr. Sabrina Strings has an amazing book called Theory in the Black Body, and she talks about this in great detail. But If we look back at history, there are times in history where living in a larger body was considered a good thing. It was a sign of wealth and prosperity and health. And then we come to a point in history where all of a sudden we're like, oh, no, big bodies, fat bodies are bad. That's not a good thing anymore. And that really started, you know, during slavery because there was this desire to create this hierarchy of bodies, right, which is white supremacy. And during that time, Enslaved folks were oftentimes in larger bodies, oftentimes more muscular because of like the intense labor we were doing. And so there came that that's when being in a larger body, being fat became associated with blackness, became associated with like laziness, lack of motivation, all these negative connotations. And so then white folks and and I and like in a desire to like separate themselves or make themselves better than that type of person is where this idea that thin bodies were the ideal body came into play. And we have just like never deviated from that. And so when we think about uh, anti-fatness, it's inherently anti-Black, it's inherently racist in nature. And it's so interesting because when we talk about dismantling the, se- the system of white supremacy, like white folks are very much being affected by body image issues as well, right? <laughs> so it's like, this is harming all of us. And so when we work to set free the most marginalized among us, it sets all of us free. And so for me, as my experience working through my own body image issues and then coming to learn about like the fact that diet culture and anti-fat bias is inherently racist and in nature and, and white supremacist, I was like, oh, this is why also I've been struggling so much because it's more than just that I live in a larger body. I'm like, I live in a black body. Um, and I think about like my upbringing where I think a lot of my body image issues started I grew up in the Midwest. I was the only black girl in my class and like a room full of like blonde hair, blue eyed girls. And it was like, I couldn't be all those things. But the one thing I could try to be was thin. Like that was my proximity to privilege. That was my proximity to Eurocentric standards of beauty. It's so interesting that you bring up like growing up. And I'm curious how if you had any images at that point of people that you I don't want to say like sought after because that feels really weird, but was there anyone growing up that made you feel okay about how you've existed in the world? 
So I tell this story in the book that I remember being at the grocery store and I saw this like magazine. It was like the most beautiful woman in the world or something like that. And it was like a picture of Pamela Anderson. And she was like, they labeled her as like a beautiful blonde bombshell. And I was like, oh, that's like, that's what beautiful people look like. Right. And I was like, well, I'm obviously never going to look like that. So then I also remember like Naomi Campbell, because I, I grew up in the 90s. There wasn't like a, a ton of representation for girls who look like me. So I remember Naomi Campbell and Tyra Banks, right? And I was like, well, they're beautiful people and they're tall. I, I was 5'8 in the third grade. So I was like, they're beautiful people and they're tall people, but they're also thin. They're also thin. And so it's like, oh, yeah. So what I need to do to be beautiful is I need to try to be thin. I can be tall, but I can't be tall and big. I need to be tall and thin. And so those were the people that I was like, oh, I can aspire to be like that model look. But I do think that, you know, you said it really well, right? Like you kind of aspired to these women, but you still were missing something in a way, right? You weren't thin, even though you were tall. But I do think that this notion of representation in all the ways is just not it so often for me because, you know, I think in a lot of ways, the the definition of what it means to be well is expanding, which is really great. And also – our, our lived experiences, even if we are in Black bodies, even if we are women or however we identify, is never going to be exactly the same. And so you titled your book Body Liberation, and I would love to kind of get into your definition of what it means to have a liberated body and kind of disrupt the notion that we have to emulate people in our bodies. Yeah. So I think I talk about body liberation. I think when a lot of people are coming to like the work of like body image work, uh, I think the space that most people are more familiar with is like body positivity. Right. And so the body positivity space was founded by fat black and brown women because they didn't see themselves represented in mainstream like ideals of beauty. And also it was like very much rooted in social justice at the core of the movement. And as time has progressed, we see like mainstream body positivity, right, has been really co-opted, really whitewashed. It's like hyper-focused on like loving and embracing your flaws or loving and embracing your stretch marks and saying positive affirmations to yourself in the mirror. And if you look at the hashtag body positivity on Instagram, you'll see like a lot of thin white women like hunched over to like accentuate belly rolls or, you know, whatever. And so it's lost a lot of like its original true meaning. It's definitely lost that social justice aspect. And um, it's really hyper-focused on self-love at this point in time. And so I think that body positivity can be a really good entry point. But for me, it just, it's like, it falls short in terms of like, how do we actually come to this place of acceptance and joy in our body and all of its iterations? And so when I talk about body liberation, I'm really talking about this true understanding that At our essence and our core, this body is just a vessel that's allowing us to have, you know, this human experience that's allowing us to share our soul's purpose and our work in the world. 
And it's also this real understanding that the goal of body liberation is not that one day you'll be able to look in the mirror and like love everything that you see about yourself as like body positivity oftentimes promises us because I think that's unrealistic. Um, But it's the ability to look at the mirror and say that regardless of what my body looks like today, I'm worthy and deserving of respect and compassion and gratitude and joy and all of these things. And it's also about like really truly understanding that, you know, the work is how do we come to love and appreciate our bodies and all of its iterations? because we'll have, you know, a hundred different iterations of this vessel from the time we're born to the time we die, while also working to divest from systems of, you know, diet culture and dismantle white supremacy and systems of oppression, because ultimately those are the things that allow for collective liberation and collective freedom for all of us. Ooh, wow. You're just, before I even ask the question, you're already going there. (laughs) Can we talk about what it means to decolonize how you think about your body? Yeah. I mean, the thing is like all of us, you know, I always say that, you know, white supremacist or diet culture, similar to white supremacy is like truly the air we breathe. And so when we think about the way we feel about our bodies and the ideas we have about our bodies, we've all been like programmed and conditioned to think a lot of harmful things about our bodies, right? Like for one, this idea that thinness is the way that we are all supposed to exist in the world Which even when I think about that, I just like if we really sit with that thought, it feels really silly to think that all of us should have thin bodies because we look around all the genetic variations in the world. Some of us have, you know, dark skin, light skin, blue hair, blonde hair or blue blue eyes, brown eyes, black hair, brown hair. We have all these red hair, all these genetic variations, right, that we accept as genetics. But then when it comes to the body, we're like, oh, no, we're all supposed to be thin, And the truth is, that's just not the case, right? And so, you know, when you live in a society in which Eurocentric standards of beauty and thin bodies are the ideal, a lot of us are striving for that because that's what we think will make us feel good. That's what we think we're supposed to exist like in the world. Um, And for a person like myself, who was just not predisposed to be in a thin body, I was spending all of my time, all of my energy, all of my resources really making myself miserable, trying to attain something that my body was never really meant to be. And so it's that part. It's the part that, um, you know, we've all been conditioned to believe that like certain bodies are more deserving of respect um, or more beautiful or more worthy. And when we continue to we're And also we're inundated with these ideas daily. And so it's like the longer we continue to consume that idea and accept it as truth, the harder it is to feel at peace and at home in the vessel you were given if this vessel does not match those standards. Um, and so we have to really work to decolonize our thoughts about, you know, the misinformation that we've been fed, right? And decolonize our mind about white supremacy so that we can start to recognize and see that these narratives that we've learned are harmful, they're hurting us, and though and, and we can divest from those thoughts so that we can come to this place where we really feel joy and because it's like, you know, I my desire for folks is liberation and freedom because ultimately I think body acceptance, which is this place of where you're like, I don't love my body, but I don't hate it. I think that's a good stop, like middle ground point, but when I think about acceptance, I think of acquiescing and I think that joy is our birthright and I think it is our birthright to exist and feel whole and at peace and, and cultivate joy in these vessels that we have. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Mm, that's such a, like, my heart just, like, got all tingly. Mm-hmm. Um, I love talking about joy. I love talking about joy as Black people. Yes. Especially in a world that is so often unkind to us. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that just made me really happy that you brought up joy, especially as it pertains to one's body. I want to... Th- think for a little bit about this notion that you are healthy if you are thin and how it's really got people fucked up, like, to be honest, (laughs) right? Like, I saw this crazy picture. So for folks who aren't on the East Coast right now, global warming is very real. And we are in New York City and we are being impacted by wildfires that are currently happening in Canada. So I saw this picture on the internet of people working out in thick, smoky fog on a rooftop with no masks doing doing a whole workout. That's crazy to me. That is insane to me. You are foregoing, and I am an asthma girly, okay? So like I stepped outside, I forgot a mask, and I immediately regretted it. So essentially these people are foregoing the actual health of their lungs to posture to being well. Like that feels so weird to me. I saw that picture yesterday as well, and I was like, I was baffled by it, right? And so I think what this alludes to is that so often for so many of us, we have equated this idea of thinness to health, right? And, and not actual health, because if those folks working out on that rooftop yesterday were actually concerned about their health, they would have been inside somewhere, right? Because literally the air quality was like labeled the worst as any, like New York City's air quality was the worst in the entire world yesterday. And so to be on a rooftop doing a workout during when, when the, the smog was so thick and I, the same thing, I stepped outside, even with my mask on, my eyes started watering, like the air quality was terrible. And so I think what it means is a lot of us have decided that being in a thin body is the most important aspect of health in their minds. And the reality is being in a thin body does not equal health, just like being in a larger body does not equal being unhealthy. And we cannot look at anyone and make a determination about their health based on what their bodies look like. And I know for myself, when I was like in very disordered eating patterns, very disordered exercise patterns, I was the thinnest I was ever had ever been. People constantly ask me about like my exercise and workout routine. They're like, oh my God, you're so healthy. And actually it was like doing borderline very dangerous things, right? But because I was in a thin body, that means that I was doing the right things. And so what we're really saying is that people look at thinness as a measure of how healthy you are. And I know this from being in the fitness industry as well. I know so many peers that I worked with over the years 
who, and and speaking particularly to women who body fat levels were so low that their hormones weren't even operating properly, weren't getting their periods, right? Because of these extreme measures that they were taking. But as long as you're thin, you get praised as being healthy and you get praised as like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? It's so great. Um, And in reality, like a lot of times for myself included, health was just the guise for disordered eating habits. Health was the guise for disordered exercise habits. And no one questions it because you're thin. So it must be okay. I think it's important to talk a little bit though about kind of at least sometimes I feel in New York, especially, or, you know, maybe larger cities like New York and LA, um, where so much of it is about what you look like, how people maybe engage with wellness as like a form of clout, right? It's like, okay, if I do this Pilates class, or if I go to this particular fancy, expensive gym, right? Like it, it kind of elevates my status and how... I think it it really does also come into play when you think about online spaces, especially mm-hmm. TikTok or Instagram. And so I'm curious, like, how do we figure out how to exist in these places and spaces with that? I don't know. So much of it just is like about perception, right? And like how we are being perceived. So how do mm-hmm. you cultivate body liberation when people are still perceiving you and know that your worth and your value is not tied to that? I think it's really tricky. I think with social media in particular, like, you know, what you just said, like, oh, I go to Equinox. I'm so fancy. It's like so much of it is about this perception, right? And how you're showcasing your life to the world, right? And wellness has become very elitist, right? Very performative, very much like, oh, I'm in the right place. I know the right people. You know, I'm going to the right events. Um, And I think when we're talking about body liberation, um, I think... For me, I can speak for myself. Um, I personally feel like my overall health and wellness is not related to like what is happening in social media, for example, right? So like how I take care of myself and how I nourish myself doesn't, for me, have to be something that I'm like have to do with the cool kids are doing. Because also, like, the cool kids are doing a lot of things that I don't want to be doing because I don't think that those are really actual um, actual healthy things or healthy ways to exist. And I think like even now, especially what you said, like living in New York and LA and these bigger cities and with the like uptick in like Ozempic and Manjaro, like people are just, I, I feel like people are shrinking like right before my eyes. Right. And so I just feel like I'm seeing people being thinner and thinner everywhere I go. And I think for me, it's just like an active it's active mindset work to be like, that's not for me. Right. And like folks can do what they want to do and folks can, and also like also having compassion for people, because I also remember that when I was like in the depths of diet culture, if, 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 if this was 10 or 12 years ago and Ozempic came out 12 years ago, trust me, I would have found my, I would have figured out a way to get my hands on some Ozempic. Right. So I have also so much compassion for folks in these spaces and in this like very much elite wellness culture, because I also was once one of those people in that space. And it took a lot of work for me to divest from those systems. So it takes folks work and time. And, you know, so everyone goes through their own process and their own journey. Um, But as a person who does not want to engage in that type of, I call it like toxic wellness culture. As a person who doesn't want to engage in toxic wellness culture, it's for me a constant 
like uh, practice to stay in the right mindset of where of staying divested from diet culture, of staying divested from toxic fitness culture in the midst of everyone else, in a lot of ways feeling like everyone else is in those things. And just knowing that's not best for my own mental health, that's not best for my own wellness. But it's, it's challenging, I think, especially with social media. Do you have suggestions for folks um, to who want to begin to embrace body liberation and how they divest from uh, wellness culture? Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, I'm a big proponent, obviously, of reading and books. So of course my book, I always recommend. Obviously. Yes. Obviously. Uh, if you're interested in that, the body liberation project is a great book for that. Um, I also already spoke a little bit about Sonia Renee Taylor's book, the body's not apology. Also like such a pivotal book in helping me change my mindset about bodies and, and understanding that. And I think for black folks in particular, fearing the black body, because so much of, so many of us as black women or black people in general, we understand that our bodies are inherently political and that when we walk into a space, um, how our bodies are perceived is very different in the world based from other, you know, other folks. And so like understanding that has really helped me as well. And like one thing I don't want to belittle at all is that, especially for those of us in black and brown bodies, that, you know, when we already have facing discrimination and being marginalized in so many ways, sometimes weight loss feels like our one thing that we can have privilege, one area we can have privilege, right? And so I think that it can be really challenging for folks because if you're if you have multiple intersecting identities, maybe you're like all these things already feel really hard. At least I wouldn't have to be in a larger body on top of that. And so I think that as you're starting to like you know question your relationship with diet culture and work through those things a lot of emotions and a lot of feelings can come up. So I think it's really important to hold ourselves with a lot of compassion um, because we are all really, truly doing the best we can in this moment in time in the midst of really difficult circumstances and situations. So I think while you're going through this journey and you're reading the books and you're trying to like, you know, extract, really hold ourselves with a lot of compassion. And so the, the, I always talk about the same kindness and compassion and gentleness that we have with like a small child, like hold that same kindness and compassion and gentleness for ourselves because it is really challenging. Um, and then also I'm, I like, you know, with social media can be so triggering for us in a lot of ways. And so I think like with Instagram, it's like a little bit better because you can follow and unfollow and you can kind of curate your feed, which I encourage people to do. I encourage you to mute people who make you feel bad about yourself in some way, even if they haven't done anything wrong. If you walk away from an interaction and you're feeling bad about your body or, or you, who you are, like just take a break from that content. TikTok, I think, is a little more challenging. I say TikTok is like the wild, wild west because you see everything on there. But also be intentional about taking time away from social media because I know for myself when I start having negative thoughts, I can almost always connect to the fact that I've been spending more time online consuming more content that is like, you know, diet culture type content. And so I think just being really mindful and trying to re, re, um, protect our our peace and our mental energy as much as possible. And then the last thing I would say is like, you know, when you're on this journey to like liberation and trying to heal your relationship with body image, I think it's so important to be in community with folks who can support you in that mission. And so I think having like really honest and vulnerable conversations with the people closest to you and say like, this is what I'm working towards. This is how you can support me. Um, and I would really appreciate if like we didn't talk negatively about food or negatively about body image when we we're together because that would help support me on my journey. And just being really clear and honest and open with people because we do need, we heal in community and we need support from people. 
And I often think that, or often say that like diet culture talk is like water cooler talk. Like we just talk about it all the time. And so like some folks might not even recognize that they're doing that. And so I think that's why it's important to like tell the folks that you're spending a lot of time with, like, this is how you can support me in this. What do you appreciate about your body? I love this question. What I appreciate about my, about my body the most is that it is just shows up for me every day. And when I say that, I don't mean like, oh, my body performs the way I want it to every day because it doesn't, right? Like some days I wake up, I'm like, why is my arm like this? What happened? I just got off the bed, right? <laughs> so it's not that it always performs the way I want to, but I just am so grateful. Life is truly a gift. And every day that we have, I really feel like is a gift. A lot of us lost folks during covid Prior to COVID, my dad passed away very tragically and unexpectedly. And when you really think about like the brevity of life, it's like it's such a tragedy to spend all of the moments and times or moments and memories of my life obsessing about my body and trying to make it smaller when in actuality, like it is such a gift to be here. And so what I appreciate about my body is just that it allows me to exist and it's allowing me to continue to have this human experience for another day. That's so beautiful. And then my last question, what brings you joy? Oh my gosh. Um, joy is so important. And you already spoke to this, especially as like a black woman. I'm just like prioritizing my joy is such an act of resistance in, in a society that would want me to not embrace my joy. Um, and so the things that bring me joy are great fiction books in the park on a sunny day. That's like, you can find me now that it's summertime. Like that's, that's where I'm going to be. So that brings me joy. Um, spending time with family and friends and laughing, that brings me so much joy. Um, resting brings me so much joy. Um, rest is, you know, I love Trisha Hershey's work, rest is, uh, the Nat ministry and, uh, her book rest is resistance. And I think it is such an act of resistance for black women in particular to just unapologetically rest and that I'm working towards doing that more. And that brings me joy. And I think it just brings me, it brings me joy just to be able to share my work with the world. I think that also is such a gift and I don't take that lightly at all. Thank you, Chrissy. Thank you. I highly, highly recommend that folks read your beautiful book. Thank you so much. This was such a beautiful time and I'm so happy that you were able to interview me and share community with me this morning. Me too. Thank you. On today's show, you've heard me, Sinikiwe Stephanie DeLueo, in conversation with Chrissy King. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share. This episode was produced by Taylor Camille and edited by our friends at Edit Audio. Our theme music was created by Madeline Lukomsky and Matt D. Domenico. Our show art was designed by Jenna Gibson and Karina Masonette.